I'm Michael Flake, another one of the pastors here. And in case I haven't done so so far, let me say to you, Happy Easter. Why, thank you. Good to be together as a church family on this Easter Sunday. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we are all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. Before I get too far into the message today, I'd like to just pause for a minute and ask you to celebrate something with me. Uh, A week ago yesterday, when I was supposed to be at a Welcome 101 class, Mandy and I welcomed our second child into the world. Um, uh, Another little girl, her name is Cora May. We call her Cora, that's uh, in the picture there. Her older sister, Indiana, we call her Indy, she's two. Uh, She loves Cora, she doesn't like that we don't have as much attention for her now, but she loves Cora. and, uh, and I look like I've slept on hospital furniture. So that's kind of about what it, what it is. Now, for, th- for those of you doing the math in your head, you will then realize, wait a minute, that means you have a two-year-old and an eight-day-old at home. You are correct. So if you notice me trying to sleep during this sermon at all, you will know why. I'm hoping I can get a few winks in. We will see. When I read the accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible, one of the things that always strikes me is how quickly the Jesus movement came unraveled. For years, Jesus traveled, he taught about God, he healed people, he forgave people's sins, and then one Sunday, he rides into Jerusalem and the crowd is cheering him. By that Friday, he has been crucified, killed on a cross, and his disciples have all gone into hiding. It is amazing how quickly the whole Jesus movement came unraveled. In the Thursday night before that Friday on which he was killed, Jesus said this to his disciples. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. It's the verse I want to reflect on today. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet Zechariah there. Uh, if It would say that in a footnote in most Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or your Bible didn't have a footnote, you can always take the one in the chair. It's our gift to you. It does have a footnote and it would let you know Jesus is quoting the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. He says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, does it offend you that Jesus refers to you as a sheep, refers to me as a sheep? Because in my estimation, sheep are pretty dumb. Well, I had a friend who spent a sabbatical living with sheep and shepherds in the Middle East. This may sound like something you want to do soon. He, He spent a sabbatical living with sheep and shepherds in the Middle East, and he has some good news for us. Turns out sheep are not dumb. Sheep are reasonably intelligent animals. They are very affectionate animals. And so when Jesus says that we're like sheep, he's not saying you're dumb. Now, you may be dumb. I may be dumb. But that's not what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is pointing out how human beings like sheep are herd animals. We like to kind of stick in the middle. We like to stay in the middle. We try to figure out what everybody else is going to do, and then that's what we do. We have an expression for this. We call it keeping up with the Joneses. We just want to stay in the middle of the pack. That was the goal of middle school, but it turns out that's kind of the goal of being human. You just try to stay in the middle of the pack. What is everybody else doing? And so the issue with that is that you and I are going to be held hostage by the changing tastes of the majority. You and I, our lives, are going to be held hostage by the changing taste of the majority unless we have a shepherd, unless we have someone we trust, unless we have someone who knows us and we know them in return, someone who's going to protect us, maybe even from ourselves sometimes, and who's going to guide us into what is good instead of just leaving us to wander wherever the herd wants to go this week. The shepherd protects, the shepherd provides, the shepherd guides. This is what a shepherd does for his or her sheep. The shepherd provides, the shepherd protects, the shepherd guides. And so if the shepherd dies, the flock is going to scatter. And this gets me back to my initial point, which is, it is amazing how fast the whole Jesus movement came unraveled. Now, the disciples objected to this idea that they were going to flee if Jesus were to die. In fact, the chief disciple, Simon Peter, he he sort of said, Jesus, I'm never going to leave your side. And Jesus, with grief coming over his deep and compassionate eyes, looked at Peter and said, Peter, in fact, before the sun rises, you will deny knowing me three times. Not long after that, the the religious leaders and the Roman government officials came and arrested Jesus, and from there the whole Jesus movement fell apart. It had seemed so sturdy, it had seemed so robust, like it was going to change the world, and then in a matter of hours it came undone. In a matter of hours it went from robust to total bust. Can you relate to that at all? Have you ever had an experience like that? For example, a faith that seemed so robust and then it came unraveled. Or a family that seemed so sturdy and then how quickly it unraveled. Or a profession that was strong or a relationship that was strong or a future that was bright. How did it all unravel so quickly? Jesus is no stranger to seeing his work undone. Jesus is no stranger to seeing those that he loves come undone. Peter did deny knowing Jesus three times, and repulsed by himself, he fled. Most of the disciples went into hiding, afraid the Romans would seize them next. As maybe the saddest illustration of this, as Jesus was walking up the hill where he would be crucified, his battered and uh, whipped body could not withstand the weight of the cross anymore. And so the Roman government official went and grabbed a random dude out of the crowd to help carry Jesus' cross. His name was Simon the Cyrene. Cyrene means he's from northern Africa. But it's interesting, it's not Simon Peter, his chief disciple. It's not any of his disciples. It's a random dude, Simon the Cyrene. 
how quickly the whole thing fell apart. In fact, by the time Jesus actually died on the cross, only a few of his followers were even there to see it. His mother was one of them. There was a rich man named Joseph. Joseph was a follower of Jesus, but he was afraid to speak up about it. And he and some of these women who followed Jesus went and asked for Jesus' body. Now, in those days, people killed on crosses would be put in a common grave. If they were put in a grave at all, sometimes the Romans would just leave you nailed to the cross, hoping that uh, sort of cruelty would be a deterrent. That was, that was part of their playbook. But Joseph, this wealthy man uh, who had followed Jesus but been afraid to speak up about it, he went and asked for Jesus' body, but it was late on Friday, and Saturday was their Sabbath. Saturday is their day of rest. So Joseph and these women go and put Jesus' body in a tomb that Joseph owns. They seal the tomb, and then it's their day of rest. So they decide they're going to observe their day of rest, and they will come back early Sunday morning and begin to pick up the pieces of what fell apart, what fell apart so quickly. So later in the New Testament, there's this trusted religious leader named Gamaliel, which in retrospect would have been a great name for a kid, a missed opportunity there, Gamaliel. Gamaliel is asked, what should we do about Jesus and these early Christians? And this is his response in Acts chapter 5. Gamaliel says, some time ago, he's a very refined person, some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, referring to the early Christians, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. This is one of the earliest recorded instances of a mic drop. This is Gamaliel's mic drop, in which he kind of makes the same point Jesus made. When you kill the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So, in other words, he's saying, don't worry about these Christian people, right? It's eventually going to disperse. It's eventually going to come to nothing. It's going to fade unless it is truly the work of God. Interestingly, thousands of years after Gamaliel first said this, the whole Jesus movement has not faded. In fact, it is stronger than ever. So how do you go from a total bust to now being the most diverse global movement of people in human history? How do you do that? The Bible's answer, the answer from the Christian perspective is, this is truly the work of God. That God is truly at work in a way he's not at work in any, any other way through the ministry, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That in fact, Jesus was God come to earth. God wrapped in humanity and moved into the neighborhood. 
So when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. But what if there's more to the story? On that Sunday morning, while it was still dark, they couldn't wait. They had to get there. While it was still dark, the women came to the tomb where they had put Jesus' body with some spices, likely some burial spices, to prepare for his funeral. Except that when they get there, they find nothing. They find nothing. There's no Jesus. The stone is moved. There's no Jesus' body. They eventually find someone they realize is an angel. And the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This totally freaks the women out. And so they then go and find Simon Peter and some of the other disciples. They come and they look. Well, sure enough, there's no Jesus. There's no Jesus' body. They do find some little scraps of cloth he had been in. Uh, so people are going this way and that, trying to figure out what has gone on, what is happening here. And, and in all the craziness, it leaves one person, a woman named Mary Magdalene, at the tomb alone. Mary Magdalene is someone that Jesus had healed during his earthly ministry. And after she was healed, she became a follower of his. She is sitting alone at the tomb and she is weeping. She is overwhelmed. It's been a really long few days. And in her peripheral vision, she sees somebody uh, walk up to her, and he asks her why she's crying. Now, Mary Magdalene assumes that this is a gardener, and so she asks the gardener, doesn't really look at him, but asks the gardener for help in going to find Jesus or Jesus' body. And at this point, the gardener says one word. And it is a word that signals that all of human history has changed. The word is her name. He says, Mary. She knows that voice. That's not a gardener, that's a shepherd. He's not dead, he is risen. And as she turns and looks through tears streaming down her eyes, she sees what she thought she would never get to see again. His deep and compassionate and triumphant eyes. They are reflecting the, the light of a new dawning day. There is new hope. There is a fresh start. Jesus went on and appeared to Joanna, who financed his ministry. He went on and appeared to Mary, his mother. Now, you want to talk about a Hallmark movie. You need some tissues. In a sacred moment, Jesus appears to his mother. Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that he, Jesus, he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, this is a verifiable event. We know this sounds crazy, but Jesus resurrected and appeared to 500 of us at the same time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Jesus keeps some pretty rough company. I mean, Jesus went and sought out Peter, who had denied him. 
Jesus went and sought out these disciples who had abandoned him. Jesus then goes and seeks out Paul, who before he was a Christian, Paul was actually persecuting Christians. Jesus keeps some really rough company. That means there's room for you and me. My point in all this is to say that when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter, and that's the bad news. But here's the good news. It's been good news for millennia. The risen shepherd searches out the scattered sheep and welcomes them home. When you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter, but the risen shepherd searches out the scattered sheep and welcomes them home. Jesus searches out the fearful Jesus searches out the weeping. Jesus searches out the deniers. Jesus searches out the unraveled. Jesus searches out those who are convinced they are his enemy. Jesus sought out Mary Magdalene. He sought out Mary, his mother. He sought out Joanna. He sought out Peter, who denied him. He sought out James. He sought out John. He sought out Nathaniel, who doubted him. He sought out Philip. He sought out Thomas, who also doubted him. He sought out Paul, who persecuted him. He sought out hundreds of unnamed people. He actually sought out a man named Rufus, who was the son of Simon the Cyrene, like the random dude. He sought out Augustine and made him an African bishop. He sought out Teresa and asked her to move to Calcutta. He continues to see, he sought out so many of us in this room. He continues to seek out people today in quiet chapels and in raucous revivals, in church services, in conversations, in moments of beauty, in the pages of the Bible. Jesus Christ still seeks out people. Jesus Christ is still seeking out, still searching for all the sheep that this world has scattered. So if you have come unraveled, if when I come unraveled, those of us who have come unraveled have a home. Those of us who have seen some part of our lives come undone have a refuge. But our refuge is not a building our refuge is not a set of principles. Our refuge is not an ideology. In the Christian faith, our refuge is a person, Jesus Christ, the risen shepherd. He is not dead. He is risen. And you and I can learn. You and I can grow. You and I can change under his watchful care. Jesus describes himself this way in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is not offering us a fairy tale. And that's good, because life has not been a fairy tale. 
Jesus is offering to be our shepherd, to guide us, to protect us, to provide for us, even in the moments and especially in the moments when we have come unraveled. And so today, I simply want to invite all of us to come home. I want to invite you to trust your life on earth, to trust your life after earth into the hands of the good shepherd, the risen shepherd, Jesus Christ, with whom you can have a vibrant and transformative relationship because he is not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He calls us out of the dust and makes us new. Again, not as a set of principles, not as a set of to-dos, as a person, as a relationship. In the same way that the most important relationships in your life shape you and change you, the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And that will shape you, and that will change you. And it will make you and it will make me into the person that he's always meant for us to be. We may have to let go of our guilt and receive his forgiveness. We may have to let go of our purpose and grab hold of his purpose. We may have to let go of the ways that we are finding security to grab onto his security. But he calls you, he calls me out of the dust so that we might be made new. He is not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All that to say, Happy Easter. Let's pray together.